This morning, I was left with the topic of plans and decision-making. We're looking to the Psalms to see what the Psalms have to say about different areas of life. Mine is plans and decision-making. I'm going to look at a two passage or two verses, a passage that's very um, familiar to most of us. Um, but I hope we get to look at it in a new way. I hope we get to unpack it a little bit. I hope, I hope you're, you're ready to really look at something that might be familiar and be ready to be taught something new. And that would be what the Holy Spirit would have to teach you today through the Word of God at this very time. So, plans and decision-making. First of all, we've got to make clear that all plans that we make as believers, as Christians, should be focused on the Lord. In fact, we should be able to echo what Paul said in his letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. What that's saying is everything is done such a, in such a way that God is honored. Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do that covers everything, do it all to the glory of God, all that God might be honored. And that's how we should make our decisions. Well, what's coming up next in my life? What big decision do I have? Well, how am I going to honor God in that decision? How will God be honored and glorified? How will he be lifted up? Whatever that decision might be, it might be moving into a new home, moving into a new area. It might be a new place of work. It might be the school that you put your kids in. It could be anything. It could be family. It could be outside of family. We make decisions and plans all the time, don't we? But you should be asking, how is this going to honor and glorify God? How is this going to bring glory to him? No matter what that plan is. And that's because as Christians, we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Christ. Paul says, it is no longer I that live, but Christ in me. When I became a believer, I understood it's no longer all about Steve, but it's all about God. My life now is live for him. That gives me purpose. Because if I live for myself, where am I going to get myself? What does that really mean? What does that add up to? But now I have this purpose that God created me in his image. That God placed a call on my life. That God lays out good works for me to walk in. That God has plans for me. That God places people in my life that I might be able to minister to, encourage, come alongside of. So everything that I do and every plan that I make has to be to honor him. It's not what's best for me. It's what's best for the kingdom. So as we're making those plans and everything go, is going well, and we don't have any problems, it's pretty easy. Life seems good. In fact, those are dangerous times when everything is going right as planned. The danger is that sometimes we forget about God. All of a sudden, God becomes a secondary thought because everything's just going right. There's no wrinkles in my plan. There's no wrinkles in anything that's going on. And that causes me sometimes to not think about God, to not make sure that he's in the center of everything. Not only that, not only that, but when God's 
not in the center, when God's not being thought of, when God's a, a second thought or put to the side, there's a better chance that I'm really going to go off into the deep end. But what about when your plans aren't going well? What about when your plans, all of a sudden, they take a shift, they turn a direction that you didn't want them to go in? Has that ever happened to you? So you spend all this time, and maybe God is in the center. Maybe you're saying, okay, Lord, what do you want from me? Do I take this new position? Because I know there's a lot of people to minister to. I could be a big influence. I could be the light and the salt in this place. And God, I really want to do it for all your glory. And things are going on, and everything's moving, but then all of a sudden, the bottom drops out. Something changes. Maybe you get a new boss. Maybe you get a new position. Maybe you get moved to another building. And now they're not as you planned. Do you feel anxiety? Do you get stressed? Do you feel worry? Jesus speaks to this in Matthew 6. He's talking about worrying about the simple things of life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear, the basic provision. And in Matthew 6, Jesus says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. The kingdom is God's rule. The kingdom is God being king and what he wants, how he rules your life. And righteousness is living in that order, living how he would call you to live your life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first before all things. If things are going crazy, if you're just starting your plans, again, if we're believers, the mindset of Paul, and we say, whatever we do, we want to do it to honor and glorify God. But always seeking first the kingdom and God's righteousness. Jesus will say in that same passage, he'll say, and which of you by being anxious can add a simple hour or a single hour to the span of his life? God does that. That's what Jesus is saying. That's out of your control. You see, you have this angst and this worry, or your plans have turned a little bit. They're not going your way, and all of a sudden, all this anxiousness comes about. But do you understand how little control you really have? If you were to walk away with anything today, I would say it would be that truth. You only have so much control. You can change your seat right now. You can get up and walk out right now. You can nudge the person next to you. There's things you can do. We have this free will. But in the big scheme of life, how much control do we actually have? My wife and I went out of town just a, a couple weeks ago now. And before we left, I had a memorial service. It was a young man. He was only 49 years old. He has four brothers. They live in my neighborhood. The four brothers that survive him you know, put this memorial together, again, a reminder. How much control do we have? Just this week when I came in the office, I had another lady that came in and her mom had just passed away. She's part of our retirement home service that we do, Dolores. And she passed away on Valentine's Day. Unexpected, more expected, because she was older. Rob was only 49. Dolores was a little older, more expected. But again, how much can you control when that happens. 
You see, we have to come to the understanding that no matter how much we want to control, there's only so much control that we have. And God is in control of everything. And that's what we'll see today is that God controls everything. So we should be doing everything to honor him. We should be echoing the words of Paul. We should be taking Jesus's command on seek first his kingdom and his righteousness in all the things that we do. So here's our passage. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. I'm going to break this into four sections. There's two verses. I'm going to take the two verses, each one of them I'll cut in half and we'll look at them and we're going to discuss them a little bit at a time. So the first one, we'll call it 3-5-A, is trust in the Lord with all your heart. That word trust is the command. So you're commanded to trust. To trust means to rely on, to place your confidence in, to find security in something. And we're called to that trust. The problem is that trust is a really hard word for us, isn't it? If I was to ask people to raise their hand in the room, which I'm not doing, but if I was to ask you to raise your hand, if trust has ever been broken with you, if someone that's close to you has ever broken your trust, I would just venture to believe that most of you would raise your hand, if not all. There used to be a time when a man or a woman's word was their word, right? You could shake on a deal and you could trust that, but times have really changed. And I think a lot of that has to do with truth changing. So now truth's relative, and what's true to you might not be true to me. So the deal that we have might be one way on your side and different on my side. So I think that has a lot to do with it. But regardless of all of that, we've all probably faced broken trust. In fact, there's a very common saying, you have to earn my trust, right? You hear it all the time. I'm not just going to trust you. You have to earn my trust. What does that mean? You have to prove yourself. There has to be some time that goes by. You have to show me that you're actually worthy of my trust. I'm not going to give anything over to you and entrust you with it and rely on you for it until I really know or feel that I know that you're going to pull through. Here's the question. A deep question. To all of us. Have we ever broken the trust of another? And again, if I was asking you to raise your hand, I would have to believe that most every hand, if not every hand in here, would go up. And you see, that's a problem of sin. You know, sin's in the world. Sin kind of ripples, if you will. It doesn't have to be your sin. It can be other people's sin. But sin affects every single one of us. And when we put our trust in someone, we're putting our trust in someone who's not perfect. And that's why that word is, is kind of like shaky with us, if you will. I don't know about trust. I don't know. You got to prove it to me. But here's the thing. This passage isn't asking you to put your trust in a person. This passage is commanding you to put your trust in the Lord. Yahweh the maker of the heavens and the earth. 
the one that gives you breath, the one that sustains everything. God, the creator. God, the one that we read about in the Old Testament that would love this people, that would guide this people, that would bring them out of captivity, that would be with that people, that would lead them into a promised land. God, the one that loved us so much that he would leave the abode of heaven and come down and take on the form of a man, Jesus. That we'd walk on, he would walk on this earth showing us what it means to live and follow him. God, that would love you so much that he would walk to a cross and give up his life so that you might live. Not only did he give up his life, but he took it up again. The power that he showed in the resurrection. And right now he sits at the right hand of the father. And one day he's going to come back and make all things right. God, Yahweh, the king and Lord. The one that will be exalted in all the earth. The one that will be lifted up. The one that will, every knee will bow and every tongue confess to who he is. And that's who you're asked to put your trust in. Has he proved himself? Well, if we're Christians and we're followers, right? Then we have to say with a resounding, yes, he has. Totally trustworthy, never changes, always the same. We can count on his word. So we're called to put our trust in the Lord, even though we want to hang on to this thing that we call trust, we have to wholeheartedly say, okay. Not only tells you who to put your trust in, but he tells you how to do it with all your heart. Single-mindedness is what that means. With everything that's in your being, you trust the Lord. All of your heart. The heart is kind of your emotions it's your reasoning. It's everything that makes you who you are. It's your decision-making. It's the center core of your being. Trust in the Lord with everything that you are. That's why the greatest commandment, when Jesus was asked, and he responded with love the Lord with all your heart, single-mindedness, everything that you are, giving it all to him. Trust, command, in the Lord, Yahweh with all of your heart, all of your being, everything you are. Might I say, not like this with your hands closed, but like this with your hands open. Not hanging on to anything, not holding anything back, but very humbly going before him and saying, take it all. Jeremiah, prophet in the Old Testament, I love how he says it. Jeremiah 17 Verse 7 and 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like this tree. 
And this tree is firmly planted and its roots are feeding off the stream. And the stream is always there, the living water, right? It's always there. It's always going by. And no matter what goes on around him, no matter what plan changes, no matter what heat comes that tree's way, no matter what heat is in your life, no matter what trial you might be going through, no matter where that path that you're on is leading, if you just send your roots out and you stay connected and you're connected to the Lord, connected to God and his word, you don't have any fear. That perfect love, it'll cast out all fears because you're trusting in the Lord. You're staying connected to him. What a beautiful picture that is. Its leaves remain green. No matter what's going on, all the chaos that can happen in our lives is going on, but it still bears fruit. My wife and I were talking about this passage last night. And we were talking about the fact that, well, you know, you want to trust the Lord with all your heart, but how do you do that? How do you do that? You know, because I, I hang on to things. I, I try to take things in my own control, and it's very hard to release. I would say it's part of that putting your roots into the stream. It's saying connected to God and his word. It's knowing him more and more. It's pouring over his promises. It's being with other believers and having fellowship and reminding one another how great God is. It's truly taking times to trust him when you're scared to death to trust him and then getting to the other side and seeing everything's okay. The next part of the passage in verse 5, we'll say 5b. He says, and do not lean on your own understanding. The idea, idea of leaning is getting support from. It's like, don't lean. If I'm going to lean on something, don't lean on that microphone stand because that microphone stand's not going to kind of hold my weight, right? I want to lean on something that's really going to support me. So don't lean on something that's feeble. Don't lean on something that's weak. The Bible uses this when a king will lean on the arm of like a soldier and he'll lean on that for strength, for stability, to keep him standing firm, right? He's saying, don't lean on your own understanding, don't lean on something that's not going to hold you up. Don't lean on something that's not going to pull through for you. Isaiah 53, 6 says this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Part of our straying away from God is turning to our own way. It's leaning on our own understanding. Here's another way of clearing it up. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and mine thoughts than your thoughts. You see, we lean on the things that we know, but that's not stability. We need to lean on the truths of God. And God's truths are so much richer and so much stronger and so much more sturdy. Proverbs 14, 12 says this. There is a way which seems right to man, but it is an end. In the end, the way is death. 
There's a way that seems right to man, but that way actually leads to death. Don't lean on your own understanding. See, if you take God out of the picture, if you take God out of the picture, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how smooth you make your paths. It doesn't matter how good your decisions are. But your path still leads to death, separation from God. God has to be at the center of all things. Again, Jeremiah sums it up like this. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Do you get that? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Wisdom from the Proverbs, right? Then you have the prophet of God. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He'll be like this tree that's firmly planted with these green leaves and fruit no matter what's going on around it. Doesn't matter if there's a drought. Doesn't matter if the sun is scorching. Doesn't matter because he's connected to the Lord. The Lord's involved in his life. The Lord is giving life to that tree. But cursed is the man who trusts in the flesh in himself, who turns from the Lord. He's going to be like a shrub, this dried bush, this tumbleweed that's just blowing through the desert, not secured. You just picture it, but blowing every way the wind blows. What a difference. You see, when it comes into trusting God or trusting ourselves, sometimes what we do when we make decisions, they're emotion-based, right? Right? Something comes up in front of us and we're just thinking everything in motion like, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to be next? How am I going to pull this off? What, what am I going to do? What are my kids going to do? What, my spouse, what are they going to do? And it's all emotion-based and we start making decisions in our own strength. And, and I think what you're being taught from this proverb is slow down. Slow down. Trust in the Lord. You know, Decisions are very difficult sometimes, aren't they? I mean, we have to make very hard decisions in life. Slow down. Okay, Lord, I'm a follower of you. How am I going to honor and glorify you in everything that I do? What's best for the kingdom? What would you have me do? Lord, how can I honor and please you through whatever comes my way? Later on in Jeremiah, he says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his way, according to the fruit of his deeds. You see, as my wife and I are discussing this, it's like, okay, that, our hearts aren't perfectly right. We can't always do what pleases God because we got this stuff, right, that, that's in there. It's deceitful. Our heart wants to trick us. 
It wants to take the easy path a lot of the times. It wants to take the easy way out. We want to close the book because a book might tell us something that's really difficult. And it's harder than just taking that easy path, that easy way. I want to do what's right, but I don't always do what's right, right? But here's the thing. What's the intention of your heart? Again, we got to stop and we got to say, okay, I understand I'm an imperfect human being, but is my heart or my affections bent towards the Lord? Do I understand what Paul's saying when he says, everything I I do, I want to honor God. And is that how I'm living my life? Understanding I won't always do it perfectly right, but is is that the bent of my heart? And that's the bigger question. When you lay your head down at night and you say, Lord, I just want to live for you. Lord, the things I did this very day, the things I'll do tomorrow, I want to do them so they honor you and glorify you. I want to trust you. Whatever you may have for me. Yeah, the heart's deceitful, desperately sick. God understands it better than we do, but we have to train ourselves to trust in the Lord. Psalm 139 says this. This is David speaking. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David was fully aware that his heart wasn't completely right and he wanted the Lord to look inside of his heart. And if there's anything that needed to be brought to his attention, he wanted to get rid of it so he could honor God. Proverbs 28.6 says, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Well, that should be enough to get us away from leaning on our own understanding because it's foolish. Just like if I was going to lean all my weight on that stand, I know I'd fall over. The next part is, in all your ways acknowledge him. Verse 6 a. This means, in layman's term, give credit where credit is due. If I was to acknowledge someone in this room, I would have you stand up. I would tell everybody what your name is, and then I would announce what you have done, what your life's about, who you are. That's how you acknowledge someone, right? In a room. That's what we would do normally to acknowledge someone. In the same way, we're called to acknowledge God for who he is, what his character is what his desires are, what he has done. I want to read to you a psalm. Psalm 139. I think Psalm 139 acknowledges very well who God is. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge, it is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Shoal, you are there. 
If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is light with you. For you formed me, my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious are me to your thoughts, or how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Acknowledging him. He knows me better than I know myself. At the end of that psalm is where David would say, search my heart and know me. See if there's any grievous way in me. He knows the words before they come off of my tongue. He knew me when I was intricately made. He knows the days that are ordained for me. There's nowhere that I could go that's outside of him seeing me or being with me. Does all that make sense? In all your ways, acknowledge him. God, you are good. God, you are great. The lady that just passed from vintage, one of the things that the daughter came in and her daughter as well, they said, you know, she always praised God. She always said, thank you, Lord. Always acknowledged him, no matter what was going on in her life. Dolores was the kind of lady that the Lord was always right there in front of her, and she always called out thanks to him no matter what was going on. You see, sometimes when things are going differently than we had planned, when they're not going our way, I don't think we stop and acknowledge that God's way is better. If we acknowledge that God created us and God knows everything about us, God ordained the days, then doesn't he know the path we should go down? Doesn't he know what we need in our lives? We just studied James recently, and we, we said in James, or we read in James, that the trials that we go through actually cause us to grow. They give us perseverance. They give us our character. They help us. But yet, when things go south... We start forgetting who God is. Maybe he has you on a hard path right now because there's a particular person or persons that he wants you to minister to. Maybe show, so you could show your testimony of how you stand up under pressure. And the end of that verse is, and he will make your paths straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. 
In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. This idea in scripture means that he will go before you, that he'll remove obstacles, that he will make sure that you have a a path to walk on. I love that because in scripture, when it talks about a path and you walking on a path, it's actually your life. That's as you walk through life, you're on your path of life all the way up to the end of your life. So the scripture will warn you to be on the narrow path, right? Matthew 7. The the wide road or the wide path leads to destruction. The way is easy and many find it. The narrow path leads to life. So here you go with the path. As you walk through life, the things that you do, honoring God, thinking about him, acknowledging him at all times, trusting in him, is walking on the right path. Scriptures are warned, don't walk to the right, don't walk to the left, don't leave that right path, because if you do, you find yourself in the world. You might find yourself on that wide path that leads to destruction. So I love that. It's this idea of as I go through life, the days that I have, I'm going to be walking, and the path that I'm walking on, is that going to really honor God? And the promise in this, as you trust in the Lord with all your heart, right? As you don't lean on your own understanding, as you acknowledge him, that God himself will make straight your paths. Now, it doesn't say he'll make easy your paths. That has to be clear. Because it does actually, it literally means to remove the obstacles. You know, this passage, what it would, it would be likened to, we're teaching through the book of Mark with the students, right? And in the book of Mark, at the beginning, it talks about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is talked about again in the Old Testament in Isaiah about this one that would come and clear a path for Christ. And that's exactly what that scripture is talking about, that John the Baptist would come and he would make way for the king and the Lord. And and the idea is he would not only remove the obstacles, but he would call out the name of Jesus. He would be calling people into the baptism. Remember, he called people in to being baptized. And that's what he was doing. He was preparing the way for the one that would come that he wasn't even fit to untie the sandals of. And that was the work of John the Baptist, to go before the Lord and clear the path, to let people know he was coming. And this path, that's what God does for us. It's so cool. If you're a follower of Christ, you're an ambassador. You're ambassador for the king. That means you're going out and you're proclaiming about Jesus. And God all the while is before you, making that path, creating that path, so you go down the right path. And he's making it effective, so even when it's hard, there's a purpose in it being hard. But do you trust him in that? The last verse that I have to put up for today is Proverbs 12, 28. And it says, in the path of righteousness is life. And in its pathway, there is no death. R.C. Sproul is a, a theologian that just went home to be with the Lord recently. And he had written a lot of things, did a lot of study in the Lord, a very solid man. And this is what he said on many different occasions. He said, our biggest problem is that we don't know God 
and we don't know who we are. Our biggest problem is we don't know God and we don't know who we are. I think that's so appropriate for today. Trust in the Lord and who he is. Sometimes we think, again, we have so much more control than we actually do. The Lord is in control of everything. The path of the righteous, of righteousness, doing what's right in God's eyes. Do you get that? That's what that is. Remember, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. The path of righteousness is life. Now, for us that believe, us that are Christians in this room, I pray that this is encouraging. I pray that you can think about different areas of your life that maybe you feel are out of control. And maybe after today, you can go home and you can just open your Bible and you can soak in the truths, acknowledging who God is, letting that trust over, that God, no matter where you have me, I can be useful. No matter where you place me, I can still bring honor and glory to your name. I can do all things for your glory. And I pray that's the truth. That's what happens from today. I pray you understand how to release, how to really trust, that you're not putting your trust in any person or institution. You're putting your trust in Yahweh, God. But I know there's probably some in this room that have never put their trust in the Lord. That don't know, you don't know what it means to, to be a Christian. And maybe that's why you're here. I just want to share with you. God loves you. God loves you. We meet every day in this room, not because we got it figured out, because we want to get it figured out. But not for our own sake, for God's sake. So that we could be good representatives for the Lord. We meet so we can learn and we dig into the word and hopefully every single one of us is changing and humble enough to apply it to our lives. So that's why we meet. So if you look at us and think, oh, you think you have all the answers. No, we don't have all the answers. It's not about me. It's about God's word. But God loves you. And see, apart from the Lord, you'll never know how to truly trust. You'll never know what true love is. You'll never know what real hope is. And unfortunately, as you go through life, the best you, the best you can figure it out, right? However straight you think you're making your own path, it's always going to lead to a wall. It's always going to lead to an end. But the path of righteousness is life, and there is no death. The only way you can be made right is by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You've probably heard the verse a thousand times that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That God loved you so much he sent his son. He knew about sin. He knew about the unrighteousness in life. He knew about what was going on and he knew that that sin separated you from him. And no matter what you did, no matter how many good things you do along your path, you, you help the poor, you help the needy, you do good things, they're not going to add up to a right relationship with God. They just can't because of sin. And that's why he sent his son. 
He sent his son because his son was the perfect price, the only thing that could make it right between you and him. That's why in John it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus speaking. No one comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. And you say, what does that mean? What does that mean? It simply means to understand that you have sin. You have this barrier before God. You have to want to get rid of it. That's what repenting is. Get rid of it and turn to him so that you can live for him. So that you can acknowledge him. So that you can trust him. And it's as simple as saying, I don't want that anymore. I don't want all the stuff that opposes God. I want to live my life right. I want to get on that path that leads to life. I want to get off the road that leads to destruction. I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus. It's a simple prayer. You turn from the old and you turn to the new and you say, just like Paul said, I want my life to honor you. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be made right. It's that simple. I'm going to ask Jason to come back up and we're going to sing a song together. We're going to have people on the walls for prayer. Um, if you have questions about what I just said, please ask them. You can also grab me and talk to me about it. I just want to make sure I'm really clear. Our heart here at the church is really to see people come to faith. Paul says, I become all things to all men so that I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. And as we come to faith, we want to equip the church so we can send them out so they do the same thing. But first and foremost, we want to see people come to faith. We want to see people living in a way that really brings about this joy that I talked about today. That you can actually put your trust in something that's worthy. So again, prayer on the walls. Let's pray. So Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for everyone that's in this room. If there's any, Lord, that have been on the fence wondering what this Christian life is all about, never experiencing the true forgiveness of you, Jesus, never experiencing what it means to put their faith in the Lord and King of all, never understanding how you can trust someone that is so worthy of all, all things, your whole life. I pray that that would happen today. It's that simple prayer. Forgive me for my sins. And I want to come to you as Lord and Savior Jesus. Surrender my life to you. I pray that happens today, Lord. Today is the day for salvation. And Lord, for the rest of us, as we hear a message like this that might be familiar, I pray that we would take the time, Lord, to think upon the areas in our lives that we're not letting go, we're not trusting, we're not acknowledging who you are. God, you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and you deserve our praise. So right now, we're going to praise you. And that's because we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.